Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm not Drew Beecham. But I am. And together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science, and the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. Or actually, sorry, we have over 50 years of homebrewing experience. I keep forgetting to update the script. (laughs) (laughs) Time goes by, doesn't it? It does. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. All right. And on today's episode, it's Hoppin' Brew School time. Denny's coming to us live from his home in Oregon with a (laughs) retrospective of Hoppin' Brew School. That somehow went squirrelier than I thought it was going to. Yeah. (laughs) But we'll get into the beer news, and then we're going to go talk a lot about hops. Yeah, really. Uh, there's a lot of news coming out from Hop and Brew School, and some of it may be surprising, and some of it may not. But before we do that, please listen to this message from the people who make the show possible. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. Y Yeast's fourth quarter legacy curation features two legendary strains for autumn brewing, 1968 London ESB Ale and 1728 Scottish Ale. These yeast strains were isolated 30 years ago for our culture collection and continue to be brewmaster's top choices for traditional multi European ales today. Both are regarded for their high flocculation and suitability for strong and seasonal specialty styles like double IP. IPAs, smoked and barrel-aged beers, British bitters, barley wine, and more. Completing this curation are two limited-release lager favorites, 2000 Boudvar Lager and 2001 Pilsner Urkel H-Strain. Available now through the end of December, Boudvar Lager delivers rich maltiness and subtle fruit notes while allowing hop character to come through in Czech lagers and German Helles styles. The Pilsner Urkel strain produces mild floral aromas and a clean, dry palate and full mouthfeel for Czech lagers and Bohemian-style Pilsners. Catch up on our latest blog posts and learn more about this release at yeastlab.com. Welcome back, everybody, and we're going to start off with Drew giving you an announcement. Yeah, a couple of announcements coming your way. No new events, but if you check your feed, there's shows. Lots of shows. Go listen to those shows. They're good. We talk smoking. We talk steam beer. We talk beer. What's not to love? (laughs) And, of course, don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the HA or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is 
It's the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. These wonderful people rescue dogs from shelters and teach them to be rescue dogs for disasters. Unfortunately, there's way too much need of that recently. Uh, you know, lots of earthquakes going on, stuff like that. But... Uh, Dogs are doing their part. Dogs love us. We love them. So let's love everybody and send us a few bucks by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Click on the Patreon link, and we will pass along your donation to the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. And uh, real soon here, we'll have a tally for our last charity. Yeah, and I promise that this foundation is not in, you know, helping out the rescue dogs that are rescuing my disaster of a life, the ones that are sleeping about <laughs> 10 feet to my right. This is an actual organization to help. But so, That's right. Give a buck. That's right. All right. And, of course, now it's time for one of our favorite parts of the show. It's time for your feedback. There we he go. just likes it when I make his voice do that. Yeah, it's fun. All right. And, of course, don't forget, you can always leave us feedback at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. And our piece of feedback for this week comes from Brad McMahon of Hobart, Australia, talking about our episode with Jeff Renner. And Brad says, it was great to hear from Jeff Renner. It brought back some lost memories of the HBD days, e.g. Renarian Cordance. Yeah, remember those? Oh, yeah. I went back to the HBD archives and instantly found posts I had made after I randomly clicked on a Daily Digest from 2000. It's hard to believe it's been a quarter of a century. I hope you can get Jeff back again at a future date to talk more about beer, as he used to have in his signature, one never knows, do one. I've gone back just in doing Google searches and looked at things I wrote in HPD, things I wrote in forum posts, things I've written hither and pither. It turns out I type a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm always astonished one at either the things I thought I knew that I didn't or the things I did know that I've forgotten. Um, and boy, I don't remember writing half of that stuff. <laughs> well, maybe it's because it wasn't worth remembering. There we go. But you know what is worth remembering? What's that? That's beer time. Oh, I'd forgotten. Hey, stick around. We're going to head over to the pub, have a couple beers. We'll meet you there in a minute. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small batch two-in-one distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug and play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. 
The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Welcome back. We're sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of Everywhere and Nowhere, somewhere in cyberspace, and we're having a couple beers, and we're both drinking IPA today. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah. All right, and of course, uh, my IPA is, well, it's relatively local to me. You don't get much more local than this. This is Wild Parrot's Surface Phase IPA, and I think this is actually really, in my mind, it's Wild Parrot's first sort of proper modern west coast ipa oh really yeah they're and they're literally as we're recording this the first anniversary party is coming up this weekend um so i'm gonna be in attendance there to say hi to them and uh yeah this is their first ipa they did it in conjunction with jpl and again first modern ipa they did it in conjunction with a team of folks from uh, jpl and i think spacex as well and it's called surface phase because it's all about the surface phase of operations of rovers on a planet. Right? All geeky. Geeky. Yeah. Go figure. Um, almost as bad as some of the names I came up with originally for Denny Kong. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you have to explain the name of a beer to people, it's not a good name. <sighs> people need to learn. Um, but, yeah, so surface phase IPA, uh, crisp, clean, Bitter in all the right places with just a little bit of color malt, not a lot, and really just kind of the thing where I'm very happy to go grab a 32-ounce crowler of it and drag it back across to my house and, and have it there with everybody else. Cool. That's great, man. You're so lucky to have that place right down the road from you. I know. And one year in, so we'll, I'm going to check in with them this weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. See, see how things are going a year on. Yep. And for you, sir? I have just returned from Yakima, as we've said many times, and when I'm up in Yakima, I always go to one of my favorite breweries in the world, uh, Bale Breaker, and bring home a bunch of their beer. They have a uh, a new year-round IPA uh, going on. It kind of replaces their Leota May, which had been around for several years, was a great beer. This new one is called Skyward, and believe me, this is your classic West Coast IPA, which, as you probably know, is right up my alley. It's a 6.5% beer. Uh, malts are Pilsner in Vienna. Ooh, <laughs> shades of Denny Kong. That was good. The, hop, the hops are Simcoe, Mosaic, Citra, and CTZ. 
you know, nothing earth-shaking there. Those are really standard hops for IPA, and it's all in how you use them. And boy, do they use them well. This is absolutely delicious. You uh, pop the can, and, you know, the first time I had one, I was like two feet away from it when the bartender brought it over, and I could smell all the fruit in it, uh, a, a slight tropical note, but lots of citrus to it, uh, lots of dankness to it, um, you know, grapefruit, pineapple, all those classic West Coast IPA aromas. Just an absolutely delicious beer, and I'm already wishing I had brought home more than a case of it. So let me ask, you said it's replacing Leota May. Right. right. How do you feel about the loss of Leota May? Because you always used to buy cases of that, didn't you? Yeah, I, same thing. I, I would, but would buy cases of Leota May. Um, you know what? I may actually like this a little bit better because it seems a little bit bolder than Leota May. I mean, Leota May was maybe more towards the balanced side where this is a little bit more pushing it. But without having a Leota May to uh, test side by side, I couldn't really tell you that. All I can tell you is that Skyward, named for the fact that that's where the hops want to go. Skyward is a really, really delicious IPA. If you like IPAs and you can find it, buy it. There you go. And again, that's Balebreaker's Skyward IPA. Um, right. It's you know you'd almost think that the people who have a hop farm literally on site <laughs> know what they're doing with hops. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the brewery is in the middle of one of their hop fields, so it's. Uh, Hi, you've been there. You know how great it is. Oh, yeah. No, it's fantastic. It's a wonderful experience. Um, All right. And so from things IPA-ish, we're going to go to things cider-ish because, uh, unfortunately, as we've been talking about, there's a lot of uh, whittliness in the industry at the moment, shall we say? And Reverend Nat's uh, Cidery, uh, which has been in Portland uh, for ever and a dang day, I think, what, they made 12 years? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. They just announced that uh, after 12 years they're going to be closing the the business, and this was also six months after they had opened a brand new tap room. They closed down their original tap room during COVID, and then they six months ago they opened up a brand new one. But because of changes in drinking attitudes, changes in population, economic issues, all that sort of fun stuff, uh, they just couldn't make a go of it uh, at their new location, and our basically uh, shutting down the, the, according to the article that we have uh, that I have in front of me that the last day will be on September 24th and uh, Nat West uh, has said that the event will actually release three last ciders uh, including one that's called uh, Swung Song and two non-alcoholic ciders which hmm. interesting yeah and interesting. so yeah it's it really kind of it really kind of sad in a way because one cider has been one of those it's been one of those products that has constantly threatened to sort of break wider open and of course if you go back and you look at history cider used to really be the beverage of the US and the colonies um, but in I don't know I mean I kind of feel like ever since I lived in Boston in the 90s you know people were constantly talking like this is going to be the year of cider and it's never quite gotten there. Cider did get a big boost from people looking to explore uh, being gluten-free because, hey, it turns mm-hmm. out apples don't have gluten. And uh, so there was a big boost there. But the thing that I always liked about uh, Reverend Nat is that uh, the ciders were always inventive. They weren't just, you know, they, they weren't just straight up 
boring. They also weren't like over the top, like, you know, here's your, you know, jalapeno sour donut uh, cider. But right. they were always very interesting, lots of experimentation. And so it's a, a little sad that, that they're going away. But at the same time, uh, as uh, Nan himself has said, it's been a great run. And 12 years is actually a pretty good run for a small business. Yeah, definitely so, man. Uh, you know, and, and speaking to the increased popularity of cider, Ailsong has just added a couple of ciders to their lineup, a, a dry and a semi-dry. So, you know, d- despite uh, Nat's experience, maybe we'll be seeing more of it. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, I got to say his experience is not unique in terms of uh, opening up a new place and then finding that the market just wasn't there. And We'll be talking about that in the Hop and Brew School report. Oh, yeah. Economics are all over the place. Yep. All right. And then from there, Denny, you found something silly. Yeah, it was. I, I really like it. A, a guy has, like, uh, taken classic photos and uh, incorporated beer into them. I'm, we'll post a link on the website. But, you know, things like the the Scream and, and stuff like that, uh, they're, they're all just great. Uh, really, really funny stuff. Well, and I think out of all of them, I think uh, Scream is my favorite. Uh, and it, basically, you can imagine what you'd be screaming over that is involved with beer. <laughs> you know, it's that classic uh, Munch figure looking down the bridge line, and there's an empty glass of beer on the on the railing. So <laughs> I, I thought that was that was pretty good. And uh, what there's a couple of uh, what Whistler's mothers in there. Right. Uh, you got Grant Wood, American Gothic, and, uh, Da Vinci, oh, uh, Mo- and Monet. And Pollock. Yeah. I never would have thought uh, Pollock with beer, but there we are. <laughs> yeah, at, at any rate, we will uh, post that link on our website, experimentalbrew.com, so you guys can uh, enjoy those pictures as much as we did. Yep. There you go. And another news story, we had talked about uh, Anchor a couple of weeks back, and uh, actually even in the last episode of The Brew Files, talked about Anchor and not being sure what the hell was going on with the whole employee effort. So if you remember correctly... Uh, Sapporo announced that they're shutting down Anchor. I mean, Anchor is now shut down. And um, that the whole business was going to go bye-bye. And amongst all the people who were out there going, hey, let's buy this brewery, uh, the Anchor Employees Union, because Anchor was a unionized brewery, uh, stood up and said, hey, we want to make a bid. And so they put out a GoFundMe and. Within three days, like the GoFundMe had wanted to raise, I think, uh, $55,000. Uh, the, and within three days, they had passed that goal and kept going. Now, the important part, and as we speak right now, it's, it's over $92,000, uh, that they've raised. Now, there are a lot of people out there who are like, well, that's not enough money to go buy the brewery. And they're very upfront <laughs> about that. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, I think Sapporo paid $85 million, So, and you gotta assume the real estate's gone up. Um, but, the money that the union is raising is not to actually buy the joint. It's basically to put in all the framework, pay all the, pay all the necessary fees and, and whatnot to put in the framework to make the offer. So, right. as it turns out, you know, you got to pay for lawyers, you got to pay for banks, you got to pay for this, that, and the other. You got to pay. And so, yep. this uh, GoFundMe is all about trying to enable that employees union to be able to make the bid to actually try and revive the brand. And uh, whether or not that's practical, whether or not that's a thing that will happen, the dreamer in my heart will continue to root for them. 
Oh, of course. Sure, man. I'd, I'd love to see them do it. But, uh, you know, they've, they're going to have a long, long way to go once they even make the bids. Oh, so, they've, got, uh, they've got a long uphill climb without a cable car. Without a doubt. <laughs> On Lombard Street, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, But, you know, yeah, we wish him luck. Uh, what can we say? Hey, I mean, look, I'm, I'm hoping I can raise another pint of anchor. Uh, so there we go. All right, and then our last news story for the day. This literally just popped up on our feed, and we were just talking about this. Uh, right. Sam, uh, Sam Smith, you know, the classic uh, Yorkshire brewery. Uh, was that in Tadcaster, I think? Um, I believe so. They, uh, they've put out a call for a couple to go and reopen and manage one of their classic pubs up there, the Angel and Whitehorse, and it's literally online. You can go apply, and, like, you basically get rooming for free, and... You know, reasonable fees for this, that, and the other, and very little outlay that you'd actually have to make for yourself. Uh, the only gotcha is now you're running a pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. With a kitchen and all the accoutrement and all the all the wonderfulness and horribleness that comes along with running a pub. And, of course, we were all talking about it online and going, ah, wouldn't that be nice? And, you know, keeping in mind that, yes, I think almost all of us who have that sort of wistful moment of dreaming understand that the underlying reality is far grimier um but so yeah man running your own business is difficult and a lot of times not fun Uh, i spent 30 years running a business that would be most people's absolute dream and eventually it's not and i would imagine the same thing would happen with the pub but you know it would be fun while it lasted well don't forget with the pub you also have to deal with drunk people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, you know what? In the recording studio, I had to deal with drummers, and that's even worse. Hey, stop it. <laughs> a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, I was a drummer. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting. And then, of course, uh, some of our local correspondents uh, said, yeah, you might want to look up the history of Sam Smith and some of their controversies. And uh, yeah, they're not always the nicest people to their uh, landlords. Uh, lots of lots of different things going on there, but still, still, there's just a part of you that wants to hold on to that nugget of a dream, and we'll get into a little bit of that escapism later in the show. It, it, it's a, a a better dream than it is reality, it would appear. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough news for now. Let's finish these beers and let's go make some more. <laughs> All right. We're gonna suck down these beers and head over to the brewery. We'll see you there in just a minute. The ultimate all-in-one electric homebrewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in homebrewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves workflow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com.
When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. are sitting here in the brewery there's gleaming stainless steel there are bubbling airlocks oh drew had a blow off over there <laughs> clean up time buddy on aisle five mm. well fortunately i have nice new walls so i can paint them real quick okay. um yeah and so let's talk about a little bit what we're brewing i'm right now oddly enough i'm not brewing a lot because uh i don't really have space right now because we're still doing renovations in other parts of the house and so because renovations are happening out of the part of the house, uh, my brewery slash office space becomes storage space, which makes it really hard to brew. Um, but what I am making is just off the, the heels of our show about making hot sauce, I'm making hot sauces right now. And so the big one that I've got going in a big old half-gallon mason jar with a Brewing America lid and an airlock on it is a whole batch of hatch chili green hot sauce. And so hatch chilies, it was the sort of the season. I guess it's still kind of the season for hatch chilies, but they're getting harder to find now. Uh, and so nice little New Mexican chilies with a little bit of heat, but not a lot of heat. I'm not looking for, you know, blow, blow out your butt uh, type heat here. And I just did what I did, uh, onions, garlic, a couple of jalapenos, about six pounds of hatch chilies, some salt, and a little bit of sauerkraut juice. And, and I assume it was for the lactic acid to get it going. Yeah, exactly. It's for the, the, the lactobacillus. I mean, the lactobacillus is going to be there anyway. It's just kind of, right. uh, if you go back and you listen to the episode with Brian Trout, that that little addition of lactobacillus is just a sort of a kick in the pants. Um, right. And so, yeah, as we're speaking, this should just be about done fermenting, which means I'm then going to blend it. And I'll probably add some additional flavors to it, like, you know, obviously a little more vinegar to really kind of sour it up, but also probably like some cilantro and a couple of other things. And then I'll have a nice little hatch green chili hot sauce for the year. Sounds delicious, man. Oh yeah. So I highly recommend uh, that you go ahead and go and listen back to those last couple of episodes of the brew files where we talked about other forms of fermentation. So this year we covered uh, hot sauce and we covered bread making uh, and who knows where we'll go from there. Cause the world of fermentation is expansive. <laughs> And yeah. The other thing I also wanted to talk about, if you look at the, the most recent edition of Zymergy that just came out, uh, there is a nice little profile on yours truly, all about the Governing Committee Award. 
And it was just kind of nice to, to read. And, you know, you can see my thoughts for longtime listeners. Probably nothing too shocking about what my thoughts are on brewing and home brewing and why it matters. Uh, but still nice to see. I just wish the author hadn't kept referring to me as Beecham because that seems way too formal. <laughs> well, it's not like she said Mr. Beecham. No, it's true, but it just feels weird to have, see it in writing as Beecham says and like going, you know, just call me Drew. Like I'm one of the few, <laughs> uh, I'm one of a handful of Drews in this hobby. Just call me Drew. People will know what you're talking about. <laughs> but still, it was very nice. And uh, my wife actually made me go and uh, get a frame and uh, cut oh, out you're the article from it. Nope. Oh so my it's not. God. So now it's hanging. Even here on the even wall. I don't do that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, look, it didn't occur to me to do it until my wife said you should frame that and put that on the wall. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Make yourself feel important. Well, you know, I, I think she's proud of me, and I'll take that. So. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Now, on to the meat of this episode. Denny, Hop yeah, and Brew um, Yeah, uh, and before we get to Hop and Brew School, I want to take just a minute here to do a follow-up on uh, something we talked about earlier. Uh, and that is uh, my experience is co-pitching yeast um, and even tie in a bit to uh, Charlie Banford's uh, Aging Doesn't Matter, even though it doesn't really relate much to what I'm talking about. <laughs> You remember me talking about uh, a while back I had accidentally co-pitched both Y-Yeast 3522 and 3787, uh, the Ardennes and uh, Westmall yeasts, into a batch of Belgian IPA I was making. And it was uh, it was very nice. So uh, before because I'm a big fan of uh, North Coast Prankster, I thought I'd make a stab at uh, trying to brew something vaguely in the same line. Uh, using uh, uh, pills, wheat, and rye malts, and I co-pitched the 3787 and 3522 again. And you may remember me mentioning that uh, I felt like it was just a banana bomb, it was harsh, it was just not a uh, a pleasing beer. Well, it turns out that uh, all it needed was a little bit more time. Uh, The 3787 was flocculating very slowly. That's what was giving it the the harsh taste, is that yeast still in suspension. Um, a couple more weeks of aging, and the beer really came around. It's still heavier in banana than I got on my previous co-pitch, but it's a different grain bill, so that could very easily account for that. But, you know, uh, just a, a sign of jumping to conclusions. And uh, Charlie Bamforth may have said that he didn't find any uh, benefit in the long-term aging of beers, but uh, in my case, a shorter-term aging of this beer uh, made a huge difference in it, and I'm enjoying it a lot. So there you go. Mea culpa, I jumped to a conclusion. Well, and I think it's important that in Charlie's article, he was talking about, like, hey, you know, we have all these mechanical treatments to do some of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if in your case with the yeast removal, you know, I, I would think that Charlie was thinking from that point of view of, uh, well, you know, look, we've got – cold we've got things like you know gelatin and other findings and we've got filters yeah. you know right <laughs> so yeah right and i and being me i took the uh, the path of least effort and most pragmatic which was just leaving it in the fermenter cold for a little bit longer and uh, i was i was very very pleased at how it came out i think if i co-pitch those two yeasts again i'll uh, maybe like revisit my uh, my strategy for how i do that but hey Basically, it worked. I've got a keg of very nice beer that I'm enjoying immensely. 
There you go. So, on to Hop and Brew School. Uh, this was my ninth year attending, and let me tell you, there is a reason I keep going back year after year. Uh, number one, first and foremost, it is a ton of fun, and it's extremely educational. You learn a lot, not just about hops, but about the industry also. Uh, and that's really what a lot of this year's sessions were focused on. We did the usual tours of the hop farms and saw the picking and processing going on. Uh, we went to the various uh, Yakima Chief facilities and uh, saw, you know, how they make pellets, how they uh, make cryo hops, uh, you know, how they do the extracts, all that kind of stuff. Um, and really, though, the main focus of this was economics, whether it was the economics of the industry or the economics of growing hops or the economics of helping brewers utilize hops in a way that uh, can maximize the uh, the overhead for them and, and help them actually make money and stay in business. So please bear with me while I go through my notes here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the first speaker was Lester Jones from the National Beer and Wine Association. Uh, if you follow the economics of brewing for any length of time, you've heard about Lester. Great guy, and he really knows and understands uh, what's going on. He talked about how the market was so uh, unpredictable during COVID, and there ended up being a massive oversupply of, of alcohol in general, especially beer, which was possibly due to, to like all the seltzer and RTDs. Uh, RTD is beer jargon for ready-to-drink cocktails, you know, the canned mm -hmm. cocktails. Um, but things are getting back a little bit more to normal now. Um the real disposable income of people, believe it or not, continues to grow exponentially, which is really good for the alcohol market because the more disposable income people have, the more they'll dispose of it on alcohol. Uh, the alcohol share of income is fairly steady at about 1 to 1.2%, but on-premise spending is down, meaning fewer people are going out to brew pubs and bars and stuff like that. Uh, two thirds of the people drink at least some times, uh, when that's pretty much stable since about 1989. Beer has been and continues to be preferred, but other drinks are now taking up some of the market share of beer. Uh, there has been a consistency in the drinking behavior, though, in terms of the the number of people and the amount they're consuming. The total ethanol consumption, I mean, you know, this is like, you look at the, the ABV of beer, wine, booze, all that kind of stuff to get a total amount of ethanol, and that total amount of ethanol sold has been very consistent over the past few years, although beer has been down a little and spirits are up a little bit. Uh, so beer is down. In other words, yeah. just to make sure I'm summarizing that correct, people are still taking in the same amount of booze, just the format's changing. Exactly. Less beer and more of other stuff. Uh, beer is down from 50% of the market to 40%, which, you know, doesn't sound bad, but that is a 20% drop in beer sales. And what we're finding is that there are more beer drinkers, 
but each one is drinking less beer, right? More people identify as beer drinkers, but they are not drinking as much beer. Uh, the number of beer retailers peaked in 2017, uh, then it went way down, and now it's starting to head back up again. Uh, brewery approvals are way up, so there's some people who think that they can still make it with a brewery, and uh, they're going to give it a try. And one of the things he said that I found most interesting was that dry January seems to have no effect on alcohol sales. There's the same amount of alcohol sold in January as there always has been before the big dry January movement. I mean, so, I'm not surprised by that. I, I was a little bit surprised because it's like such a big trendy thing, you mm-hmm. know, but apparently it doesn't really do enough to make much uh, much difference on the market. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, next, next session was our good friend Spencer Tilkemeyer, who's been here on the show with us before, uh, talking about survivables. Every lot of hops that comes into Yakima Chief, and believe me, that's a lot of them during harvest time, is uh, tested by trained panelists who have uh, tons of sensory training. Uh, they, in 2022, they brought in 1,213 lots. 1,570 samples went to quality control, and 1,200 samples went to research projects. So you can see that, you know, there are a lot of hop lots coming in, and they're getting really, really extensively tested and played around with. Uh, they do uh, a beer sensories with these new hops that are actually sen- separate from the hop sensories. One of the big things that Yakima Chief is working on is trying to find a way to relate what you get out of the the raw, you know, plain hops to what's going to happen once they get in beer. So they do a lot of work uh, trying to correlate the uh, the hop sensory to the beer sensory. They have a five-barrel test system, a couple uh, eight-barrel fermenters, and they can split each batch four ways. So, you know, they can really get a lot of variations into their testing. I intend to uh, try and and look into exactly what their experimental design and the results are. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. I'll let you know once I do. Preferences in the tasters are clearly towards the hops with high survivables. And we've talked about this a number of times, and you can go back and listen to old podcasts and find out more about survivables in a nutshell in case you missed all that. It's a way of assessing the compounds that are in the hops and figuring out the best way to use the hops to preserve those compounds. So, again, the preference was clearly to high survivables in the hops, no matter what the other parameters were, meaning when those hops were added, right? As long as there were high survivables, it didn't matter if you added them early, if you added them late in the whirlpool, if you added them dry hopping during fermentation, after fermentation, Hops with high survivables were always, always preferred. Next session was about maximizing through recipe design. And this gets back to the economics and survivables both. Um, The idea is that because it's so expensive to brew these days, you need to get the most out of all your ingredients while keeping your costs down. One of the most interesting examples he gave, and you know, there are, there are more, but this is, this one was, I really liked. 
was a comparison of Centennial Hops versus a new hop, HBC 638, right? Now, you remember, Drew, that everybody hates to grow Centennials, right? It is a hop that is well-loved by brewers and well-loved by growers. Yeah, yeah, low-yield, disease-prone, but people still want it, so they're going to grow it, right? But this new HBC 638 has a lot of the qualities of Centennial. Plus, they get almost twice the yield of Centennial, up to 75% more. It's not an exact replacement, but it's very similar. Uh, And it can be an add-on, especially in multi-hop beers. It's got 40% more alpha, although that's not typically used for alpha. You know, Centennials aren't. And four times better storage stability. So the thinking is that if you have a beer that uses Centennial hops, you could probably replace, say, maybe 25, 35% of those with this HBC 638, come up with a beer that is substantially the same, but at the same time be saving yourself a lot of money. And the other thing is – because Yakima Chief is so into sustainability, basically you're getting hops that grow better, so they take less resources to grow the same amount of, of usable uh, hops, usable oils, usable alpha acids. So basically what's happening is that you're saving money, you're saving the environment. One of the uh, other things that they look about when they're developing new hop varieties is when are they ready to harvest, Right. As Spencer said, they have a ton of hops that are ready in the middle of the hop picking window. But if new hop varieties come in then also, that really stresses all the facilities uh, during picking. So when they're trying to develop new hops, they're looking for varieties that will either be ready early or late so that when they get them in, um, they can they can process them without getting into the big rush and glut of all the other things going on. Uh, Yakima Chief has seen an overall 71% increase in on-farm sustainability, meaning they're growing more hops on less land, right? And that that is a great thing both for the planet and for economics. Um, the use of CO2 hop extract has really been coming along and they put out this chart showing how, you know, if you start with 25 cartons, 1,240 pounds of T90 hop pellets, freight on those is $525. If you do those in cryo, it's 12 and a half cartons and the freight comes to $331. If you do that with CO2 hop extract, you're talking about six and a quarter cartons, right? A, f- a fourth of the original T90 pellets and freight goes down to 251. And then if you translate all that to their new product, the YCH702 trial, which we uh, had a chance to use in Denny Kong, you get uh, two and a half cartons of that comparable to 25 cartons of T90 pellets, right? So you've got like a, a, a 10% of what those T90s were, and your freight goes down to $191. That means that the breweries are paying a whole lot less for their ingredients. They're getting more usefulness out of them, and, and they're making basically the same beer with it. 
it, it was really, really fascinating, and I'm going to be really curious and interested to see what happens with some of these new kind of like replacement varieties. Uh, it, it's one of those things that, you know, I had never crossed my mind, but that should surprise no one. Uh, Isn't it funny, though? Like, I mean, you stop and you think, when you and I both got involved in brewing, uh, yeah, the, there were a lot of people who were still snobs about using only whole hops, right? Yep. Um, and pellets were okay to most people. And then other products, things like extracts and whatnot, those were those were big boy toys with all the sort of you know slathering of disdain upon them because of that. You know, it was like. It was sort of a weird ingredient um, uh, purity approach. You know? right. And so n- now we've got things where we're openly talking about using hop extracts when they make sense to, these flowable products like Trial 702, uh, you know, highly processed hop products like cryo powder or uh, cryo hops. Just funny to see that shift away from, you know, uh, modern science hasn't touched this, so it's pure. <laughs> you know, and. You know, that same thought crossed my mind as I was looking at this freight comparison chart, and I saw T90s, cryo, CO2 hop extract, 702, and I thought, what about whole hops? (laughs) So uh, I asked Pat, I said, does anybody use whole hops anymore? He was very diplomatic. (laughs) <laughs> and saying, well, you know, uh, if that's what people want, you know, we supply them. We get them whatever they want. But basically the subtext of that comment was, no, virtually virtually nobody is using whole hops anymore uh, because, number one, they're too expensive to use in terms of, of freight. And number two, because these other products will likely give you better quality. So, and, but I, I did, I, you know, I'm like you, I thought, what about whole hops? And I was like, no, no, you know, if, if somebody really wants them, we'll be happy to supply them. But, you know, that is not what the majority of the market wants anymore. Didn't Sierra Nevada used to really stick their guns to whole hops only? Yeah, and, and they may still. I mean, I have run into Steve Dressler, well, when he was at Sierra Nevada, I've run into Steve Dressler several times there at Hop and Brew School because he was always coming up for selection about the same time that we were there. Uh, I don't know if they are still as committed to whole hops now that he's gone. Could very well be, you know, why rock the boat? But, you know, it. if so, they're one of the few that are, are doing it that way these days. Whatever happened to hop plugs? <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you remember hot plugs, uh, you're either British or you came up in American brewing at a very specific time. Yeah, right. Uh, they went away. I think there was a good reason. Oh, yeah. And uh, go ahead. You no, no. say something? No, no. Okay. I was just reacting and saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the last seminar they did was on lager production, which, you know, you might think, well, for Yakima Chief, which is all about the hops, kind of a, an out there subject. But on the other hand, loggers are becoming very popular these days, and uh, a lot of the hops that uh, that uh, Yakima Chief sells go into loggers. Uh, not to mention the the American Nobles that they make uh, along with the cryo hops. Uh, just one one of the. Uh, 
and here's just some random tips that I picked up from uh, the people on the on the panel. At least one person said that uh, they had had troubles with DMS. So what they do now is they do a concentrated boil, and at the end of the boil, they add cold water to cool it down quickly, which uh, really helped them get rid of their DMS issue. I thought, man, that's that's fairly creative. That should that should be pretty good. Uh, they say, uh, get your yeast right. And as we've discussed before, I think almost everybody, I think there were four people on the panel and they all cited 3470 as the main yeast that they use. Um, they all said that the process is sensory driven, uh, as a, you know, the time and temperatures that they use for various stages of lager fermentation are driven by them actually sampling the beer and deciding what to do from there. Uh, not necessarily all traditional German ingredients. Uh, a lot of them use uh, American malts, and a lot of them use uh, American hops, uh, things like Crystal, Mount Hood, stuff like that, that uh, can be really, really good in a lager. Uh, they all use different schedules for 3470 fermentations, though. Some of them would go warm. Some of them would go cold. Uh, Lisa Allen of Heater Allen, for instance, I think was a, a real firm believer in cold fermentation. Uh, another guy was a firm believer in warm fermentation. Oof. So, you know, they're, they're, and all these people make great loggers. So I guess the takeaway would be that Maybe there's no single right answer about fermentation. Uh, most of them said that they prefer a lag time of over eight hours. So all you people who freak out when you don't see fermentation in two or three hours, there you go. They actually prefer longer lag times. They find that it develops more flavor that way. And out of the four of them, three of them don't filter their lagers. So... Well, and the rise of popularity of lager is not surprising to me. And it's not even actually surprising that Yakima Chief would be talking about it because, I mean, don't forget, we had Jack's Abbey on the podcast, uh, God, a couple years back now, mm-hmm. talking all about, like, hey, you know, why they like to do lagers to express hop character. And, right. you know, how much more of a presence they can get from a smaller amount of hops and still deliver you that big hoppy vibe. And at least here in L.A., I don't think you can run a brewery anymore with uh, without having at least one lager-ish thing. Uh, right. So earlier in the episode, we mentioned that Wild Parrot is coming up on their year anniversary. And when I talked to John uh, when he was opening, he admitted to being a loggerhead. And I think at the moment, about half their taps are lager. Um, and of those loggers, a couple of them are also nice and hoppy. So right. it, it absolutely makes perfect sense to me like it, that – we would see more loggers. We're seeing a lot of loggers down here in LA. Of course, that may also do, be due to the fact that we're pretty hot down here most of the, most of the year. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, one thing, you know, one thing that I would like to see is more variation in loggers, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it seems like there are a lot of loggers being made, but they're all kind of like in, in the Pilsner mold, right? And which I'm not complaining about, you know, I, I love those kinds of things. But I, I would certainly like to see more things like, uh, oh, you know, like a like a uh, a, a Maybach, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a Dunkel, stuff like that that you just don't see as often with the loggers. But 
you know, like I said, I'm not complaining. I'll take what I can get. Come here to L.A. I got Integrin for you, buddy. Um, oh, yeah. Keep sending that stuff up here, would you? Yeah, I, I may still actually still have a can of the Doppel Nighthawk. Um, but, yeah, that was good. Yeah, no, but to give you an idea, the um, uh, again, Wild Parrot, you know, not, not the world's fanciest brewery at all, but they have, what, an American lager? They have a, a hoppy lager, and they have a amber Mexican lager. I have one other one that I'm blanking on right. Oh, it's red lager, and so they actually at least have color. But you're you're absolutely right that almost everywhere in the world it seems to be we make a lager. It's somewhere between two to three SRM. Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not we yeah. call it a pilsner depends upon how much hop we put into it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> might be a pilsner. Might be a hellas. Just depends on what we feel like that day. Exactly. All right. So we got. All this going on with all the economics, did you learn? What else did you learn about like how people are using hops or any new varieties that we might be seeing? Again, most of the new variety that was really talked about and on display there were hops that were going to uh, economically help out uh, the brewers and the growers. That's not to say that they aren't still looking for varieties with new and exotic flavors and stuff like that. But, you know, a, a lot of the development seems to be aimed at helping breweries and farms survive by making the hops more economically viable, you know, mm-hmm. like, like you know, the 638 that is, you know, 90% of what a, a centennial is. Um, that That's the kind of thing that I think we may end up seeing more of because, Let's let's face it. They're still going to be chasing the the exotic, you know, mango guava flavor that they've always been going for. But on the other hand, if the farmers and the breweries can't make money doing it, then there's not going to be any development at all. Yeah, I'm just hoping we get less coconut hops. <laughs> well, if it's any comfort to you, I didn't see any new coconut hop varieties this year. And by the way, for anybody who loves coconut hops, that's fine. That's your jam. You're wonderful people. I just, I can't get behind them in an IPA except for maybe like in a stout. A stout, yes. But an IPA, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, we all have our own tastes, right? Exactly. Um, All right. And so remind people, so you, what, you were at Hoppenberg School for three days, four days? Seems like forever. Uh, Let me see. I was there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, there was actually a, a day. Uh, that went on uh, of the tour of the Yakima Chief facilities. It was on Tuesday before I got there. Uh, I was there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, you know, the days for the big parties, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great experience. Uh, if you guys are free the last week of August, uh, and you want to take a trip to Yakima, a really fun little town, uh, I highly recommend that you go to Hop and Brew School. It, it's a party within a school, I guess is the best way to look at it, huh? Do they still have random coolers hanging out in random spots in the dirt with, filled with ice and cans? Uh, no, they don't. It's, it's much more organized now. They have a bar with about 20 taps on it. Oh, well, and there you go. Drew, I got to tell you, Drew, the biggest improvement this year, no porta potties. They oh. had air conditioned trailers with actual bathrooms in them. 
all while we're sitting here talking about the economics of everything. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you're walking, there's like pictures hanging on the wall and the whole thing. It's like, this is about as far from a porta potty as you can get. Yeah, and, and by the way, the reason why I'm talking about this is uh, in the time that I went, uh, one, it was hot and dusty because Yakima's in the high mountain desert, and so it gets hot and dusty up there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fairly certain I still have some of the dirt in some of my shoes. Um, and yeah, it was just always amusing to me that you'd walk around a corner and there's a tent and there's a big white cooler with, you know, filled with ice and beer and nobody yeah. really pleasing. I think you just like reach into the cooler and go, Oh, Hey, that's nice. That's from so-and-so brewery over in New York. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that that got to kind of be a, a, an issue, you know, uh, people taking beer off the premises and stuff, which was really not cool. So, oh, no, no, uh, yeah. Now, now it's a little bit tight, more tightly controlled, but that doesn't mean there's any less of it. <laughs> well, um, and what about the, uh, the the sports center? Sports center. I did not go to the sports center for the second year in a row. Uh, it's under new management, and I've heard that it's just not the place that it used to be. And uh, I, I took a look at the menu, thinking I was going to go there for dinner one night, and it just. It just wasn't the same, man. What can I say? But, uh, you know, I, and I'd sworn to myself I was going to go just to check it out this year, so now I'll have to swear that for next year. All right. Well, and then there was – I remember you had one brewery that you posted about that you were surprised at. Uh, Single Hill, was yep. that it? Yep, Single Hill. Yeah. Yeah, Single Hill is uh, just like around on the backside of the hotel I was staying in. I mean, it's not even a block away. And I went over there last year, and I asked them for a clean, crisp, clear West Coast IPA, and they looked at me like I wasn't speaking English. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and they, pretty much last year, most of, um, pretty much all of what they had was uh, hazies and sours. Uh, you know, not not exactly my favorites, but. This year, they had several really, really good West Coast IPAs on tap, along with the hazies and sours. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good brewery. It's very convenient, like right next to the hotel. But again, I take this as a sign of something we've been discussing before, which is there's starting to be a resurgence of the nice, crisp, clear, clean West Coast IPAs. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that that means that the hazies are going away. They certainly don't appear to be, and there's a lot of people that like them. But I'm really glad to see that we're getting back to at least a little bit more balance. Yay, go beer. Yeah. All right. Any last lessons from Hop and Brew School? Uh, don't drink four bottom cutters in a night. <laughs> I was going to say, was that the night you texted me? <laughs> yeah, it might have been. <laughs> the fir- I mean, the first thing I always do when I get to Yakima is I stop by uh, the Safeway store there, pick up a six-pack of bottom cutter, and take it to my hotel room. And uh, without fail, every year, the first night, I just get too enthusiastic. Nothing wrong with enthusiasm. You just got to be careful. Um, yeah, well, at least if you're going to drink four bottom cutters, doing it in your hotel room is the way to do it. Yes, it's a much better idea. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Yakima, Yakima Chiefs, uh, Hop and Brew School. Always an experience. Always interesting to see what's going to be new and coming down the pike. Uh, and also to see what people are talking about in the, in the industry. Um, uh, so if you get a chance, it's a nice little time. It's a nice little town. 
I mean, you're literally, I mean, Yakima's not that big of a town. Uh, <laughs> no, it's really not. Um, my, my only goal is one year I, I want to get up there and then go down to the, there's the Tri-Cities minor league team. Uh, right. Go to uh, Hoffman Brew School and go catch a game, too, at the same time. Only problem is it's like an hour away. No. Jerks. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, Yakima used to have a minor league team. Uh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So there we go. All right. So that's Hoffman Brew School. That's the brewery. I, I can't wait to get my hands on some of that Trial 702 so that we can uh, we can play. I got a bottle of it sitting on my table. I got to get down to you. There we go. All right. So how about we get out here and we get people on the road? I think it's about time for that. Stick around. We'll be right back. Experience a one-of-a-kind hop and beer education event. Yakima Chief Hop's 20th Annual Hop and Brew School will be held August 29th through September 1st in Yakima, Washington. Come celebrate the excitement of Yakima Valley's hop harvest. Hop and Brew School is a highly interactive educational event surrounding every brewer's favorite ingredient, hops. Attendees can expect farm and facility tours, presentations from industry leaders, professional panel discussions, and advanced sensory experiences. Registration is open and tickets are limited. Visit hopandbrewschool.com slash Yakima to reserve your spot today. I'll be there and I hope you will too. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Summer is the perfect time to embark on a homebrewing adventure. Join the American Homebrewers Association for one year and receive a free brewing book of your choice to fuel your experience. Discover the pleasure of enjoying your own cold, crisp beer on a sunny day. Plus, get a free book to spark your beer inspiration. So, join the American Homebrewers Association and start tapping into the joys of brewing. Head to homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for offer details. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. Welcome back. It's about time to wrap things up and get out of here. And we're going to do that with a quick tip and a something other. Before I do that, though, let me tell you that we need you guys to write in some questions for us. Uh, you know, make us look like idiots. Who knows? We may even have a good answer. But please send us your questions at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Okay. I have been entrusted with the quick tip this time. And having just come back from Hop and Brew School and seeing the hop farms, this tip is about how to dry your homegrown hops. And I've said this before, and uh, uh, people don't seem to take it to heart. You need to not just put your hops on a window screen in your garage for a week and let them dry. Number one, 
hops will start composting themselves within an hour after being picked. So you're really, really losing quality when you do that. Number two, take a tip from the hop growers themselves, right? After the hops are picked in the fields, they go into their big drying racks. They dry them at 135 degrees with air blowing through them. And it just takes, you know, theirs are are huge, so it takes maybe like 10 hours or so. I used to use a food dehydrator uh, with six trays on it, and I could dry a batch in maybe like three, four hours tops. Now, I, I did the window screen thing for a long time. And always felt like, you know, I just was not getting the best out of my hops. They didn't really seem to be anything like the ones that I bought commercially. First time I went to hop and brew school, I took a look at the uh, the temperature of the hop dryers that the commercial growers are using. Came home and tried that 135 degree setting, and I cannot tell you how much better my hops came out. So, please, please, please... Don't slow dry your hops. You've gone to all that work to grow them and pick them. Uh, why not get the best from them? Why, why blow it there at the final step? Dry them f- fast and dry them at a decent temperature, and you will be much happier with your homegrown hops. Well, I was going to say, it seems like the key is the f- uh, the fast part, right? Because people play around with the temperature. I know Yakima Chiefs played around with the, the temperature they're killing at. Sure. And so, I mean, if nothing else, even if you even if you just put them on a bunch of uh, screens, get air blowing through them. You know, you get, like set up fans and blow through your hops because you know that will help drive off moisture too. And yeah, well, if you can get it heated. That's even better. Yeah, heated. I mean, that's that's really a key. I took a look. You know, this, one of the farms we visited, they had like all the temperature displays, and because it's all computer controlled right so they were all displayed on on some monitors and i took a picture the hop drying temperatures were any place from uh, 125 to 140 degrees initially mm-hmm. and then as the they, they monitor the moisture content of the hops and as the moisture content goes down they reduce the temperature slightly um i, I my own experiences i didn't mess with that because they dried so quickly that there was really no need to. But I think that the key thing here is you want to dry them at a higher temperature so that they will dry quickly. There you go. Get, uh, get your hops dry. Don't let, don't be lazy about it. That's right. All right. So now it's time for something other than beer because man cannot live on beer alone as much as we love it. So, Denny, what do you got? Um, I, I ran across... A new show that may be difficult for some of you to find, but I'm just enjoying the heck out of it. It's called Help, I Bought a Village. This is a, a British Channel 4 show, kind of in the mold of Grand Designs, if you've ever seen that. Where In, in that one, people would buy uh, some exotic old house and try and fix it up, and it would destroy their marriage and drain their bank account. Uh, <laughs> In this particular show, though, it's on a much larger scale, people buying historic, beautiful, picturesque old villages and trying to fix them up and turn them into like, you know, a a bed and breakfast, a hotel, a restaurant, that kind of thing. It's a a really, really fun show if you enjoy that kind of of thing. Uh, Like I said, it's kind of like several other like 
renovation shows you've seen, but the the scale of this one makes it much more enjoyable to watch. Yeah, so it looks like it's a Channel 4 show, Help, We Bought a Village. Right. Um, and it, you know, it looks like, well, it's in that very kind of classical uh, British television thing where it's not that many episodes. <laughs> well, there are a lot of episodes. There, I mean, the first season had at least 20 episodes, and then I, I know that they're in at least the second season, if not the third. But it's 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 very hard to find. A random episode popped up on my local PBS station during their pledge fundraising stuff. I don't know if they're going to be showing any more or not, but I started looking around and found a place online where I could download another like eight or ten episodes. Uh, not Not the entire series for sure, but enough to keep me entertained while I'm on my treadmill. Well, and as with all things, uh, if you don't care about going through all the legal means, it does seem that you can find a bunch of episodes on YouTube. Oh, you know, and I hadn't even looked there, but that does not surprise me. (laughs) So there we go. That's Help, We Bought a Village uh, from Channel 4. Our British listeners will be able to get their hands on that fairly easily, and I imagine a bunch of the global listeners will be able to as well. Here in America, you may just have to uh, resort to the YouTube piracy channel. Oh, well. Um, all right. And so that's uh, that's Denny's uh, something other than beer. Uh, and now it's time for me to get a little modeling. Um, because just a little while before we started to record uh, the show, or actually when I was putting the script together for the show, uh, found out that uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Buffett had died. Uh, passed away from, uh, after a four-year-long stint with uh, skin cancer. Go figure. Skin cancer for the beach bum. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I look, I mean, I grew up in Florida in the 70s and the 80s, uh, and Jimmy Buffett in a lot of ways was kind of the unofficial poet laureate of the state of Florida. And so that dude's music has been sort of intertwined in my life uh, the whole time, and it really does remind me of the Florida that I knew growing up as a kid. Now, of course, that's I know that's being viewed through the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia, but still, uh, the... Losing Jimmy Buffett's another one of those things that hits me just like when we lost John Prine during COVID. Um, and I realized that there are going to be a lot of people out there who are like, but Jimmy Buffett's cheesy. Well, yeah, he was cheesy, but he was also the kind of guy who embraced his cheesiness and uh, really sort of presented the idea of, um, well, the, the dream of escapism, right? The, the dream of getting away from the humdrum life, which kind of goes in line with what we were talking about with that uh, pub, uh, applying to run a pub. Uh, you know, escapism is just kind of a thing that uh, human beings do. And I always thought that uh, Buffett was one of the best at it. So, concrete recommendation other than going and listening to Jimmy Buffett and realizing that he was a much better uh, singer-songwriter than Margaritaville would lead you to believe. Uh, or actually, I think most people really want to bag on uh, Cheeseburger in Paradise. Um, during COVID, he and his daughter, Delaney Buffett, sat down and they put together a YouTube series uh, called Songs You Don't Know by Heart. And it's a series of, I think, about 15 episodes or so. And each of them's less than 10 minutes long. And it's him playing some song that was requested by fans that he doesn't play as often. And what's actually really important about it was also explaining the stories behind the songs. And so it was just kind of a really nice father-daughter series of Delaney asking him questions and him telling the stories and then playing the songs. So uh, that's there's a whole YouTube playlist. There's a reason why I told Denny that his show was on YouTube. 
but there's a YouTube playlist of these episodes. Uh, again, Songs You Don't Know by Heart by Jimmy and Delaney Buffett. And I will include that in the show notes so you can go watch it and you can kind of, at least if you're me, you can kind of go miss the man. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have to admit, I was never a huge fan of him, but uh, I know that a lot of people were, and everything I hear leads me to believe he was a really excellent person. So, Plus, plus yeah. somehow, that that dude took the idea of being a beach bum and turned it into a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was... He was no dummy, man. Um, I've heard many people say he was a brilliant businessman. Oh, yeah. So there you go. It's amazing what you can buy with uh, blenders. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We used to be on Twitter, but now it's X, so <laughs> but we're still at EXP Brewing. You can find Drew at the Homebrewing subreddit or the Slack Homebrewing channel. You can find me hanging around on the AHA discussion forum on Facebook and bopping around through various other places on the Internet. Don't forget that if you want to ask us a question, suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And please, send in those questions. And if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text at 626-765-1AL. That's 626-765-1AL. Shoot us a text. Tell us what you think about Hop and Brew School. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. <laughs>